Uh, let's ask God to help us as we come to his word. Our gracious uh, Heavenly Father, we are your people. We pray now that you would feed us on the truth of your word and that we would know its encouragement. Our gracious Heavenly Father, help me to speak your word truthfully and clearly and help us all to receive this as the word of our good God for us. And in your mercy, may it do its good work in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, you could listen to the radio discussing the COVID situation, watch the TV as it talks about the affairs of nations, open your paper to read about state and federal politics, and God is nowhere. Uh, we focus on, we're preoccupied in our society with the human. History, well, that's the battle of human ideas and human powers only. Truth, well, that's the fruit of human discovery or of human storytelling only. Religion, that's about faith communities, about collective human believing. The secular West wants a public life and conversation that excludes God. And that means that we are always being presented with a distorted view of reality and never hearing the true story, the full story, because all we ever get is the purely human story. And even though here in church we keep talking about God, we can be discouraged by what we hear around us, by people's refusal to even think of God. Or worse, we can be sucked in by that. We can start to relate to God as if he is just an idea, a human idea, in reality absent and powerless. Now today in Daniel 5, you've heard twice really, a very human story of a king, Belshazzar, and the characters at his court of courtiers and advisers, a canny queen mother and of Daniel, a forgotten wise man. You've heard the story of the last night of a human empire. But it's also the story of God, a story that gives the true picture. Now, when I use the word story, uh, people can think made up. But that's not the case. We all have true stories to tell, stories that matter of, say, how we may have come to Australia or our family came to Australia or how we met our husband or wife, true stories that we tell our children. Daniel 5 gives the true picture because it's a true story. Uh, there was a time when people claimed that that was not the case. Belshazzar, they said, was made up. We've never heard of him in the record, not seen his name in the Babylonian king lists. But then they looked closer. Yes, the last king on those lists was Nabonidus. He was away from Babylon, though, for long periods, up to 10 years. And then they found some clay tablets in an ancient library recording how he had appointed his son, the crown prince, to rule Babylon in his place. And that son was Belshazzar, to whom Nabonidus entrusted, entrusted the kingship. Belshazzar was the effective ruler of Babylon. And then they excavated the palace in Babylon. And in the large throne room, there were walls covered in white plaster. 
plaster on which a message could be written. And history records that Babylon did fall in a night. This true story starts with the despised God and the idolatrous king. King Belshazzar held a great feast for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine in their presence. Now this is, as Kirsty's told us, an impressive party. 1,000 guests. It speaks of power, wealth and luxury. And during the party, vessels Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, are brought in to serve as drinking vessels for the king and his guests. Now, what does that action say Belshazzar thinks of the living God? Well, it tells us he thinks that God doesn't matter, that God doesn't need to be considered at all. Belshazzar thinks he can use God's stuff whenever he wants, however he wants, use it without regard to God, use it just as if it was his own. Now, when you use someone's stuff without consulting or considering them, what does that say you think of them? You know, if, if for example, not that you would, but if, for example, you walked by and took somebody's lunch and then you ate it in front of them, or you grabbed their car keys and drove off and then parked their car wherever you wanted when you finished with it, well, that would communicate, wouldn't it, loud and clear that you despise them, that you don't fear them, that you think they're so much less than you, less powerful, less important, that you don't have to worry about what they'll think or do at all. Belshazzar is confident of his own power and he uses these vessels from God's temples to praise what he considers the source of his power and wealth. His gods, gods made of gold and silver, bronze and iron, wood and stone. Belshazzar, you see, is saying that the God of the Jews is less than these lifeless idols, powerless compared to them, unimportant. Now that really is contempt, isn't it? When you use what is God's to do the very thing he forbids, he hates to worship lifeless idols, to proclaim that they are greater than God. God is the despised God at Belshazzar's court. It's actually not much different today, is it? We're always using what is God's to do the very thing he hates. We use the tongues he's given us to lie, even lie about him. We use the bodies he's given us for sexual immorality. Oh, the wealth he's given us to bolster our pride and give our loyalty to money. Sometimes we even use his word to defy him, whether it's twisting it to justify the abuse of wives in marriage or to enlist support for our own political agenda. We're actually not much different from Belshazzar and the people of Jesus' generation weren't much different either, were they? When God came among us, God with us, Emmanuel, well, he was the despised God, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, determinedly got rid of and held up to public shame on the cross. But God is not just an idea. God's not controlled by our thoughts about him. People thinking and acting as if he's nothing doesn't stop him from being who he is. And he is the living God, the God who can act in the world without us. Belshazzar's revelry 
was disturbed. God crashes Belshazzar's party. At this moment, the fingers of a man's hand appeared and began writing on the plaster. He comes uninvited and uncontrolled by Belshazzar. And God's action brings terror as one who's so used to being in charge recognises a power not accountable to him. It's worth remembering, isn't it, if we're going to see the world rightly, that the living God does what he wills. As we heard Nebuchadnezzar say last week, there is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? You see, we want to live as if our world is closed, that God can't be present or operate in it, well, at least not without our permission. But that is fantasy land. As the psalmist says, the Lord does whatever he pleases in heaven and on earth, in the seas and all the depths. This is his world. He can bring a people out of Egypt, bring famine or flood, can save or destroy. He can unbidden enter our world. The creator, as a man, the word become flesh, the Lord Jesus Well, the king is unsettled and he shouts for his mediums, Chaldeans and diviners. These are the experts in the uncanny, in communication from the unseen world, people who give meaning to events. Belshazzar offers them, as you heard, a a rich and extravagant reward for telling him what the writing on the wall means. You see, knowledge is power. Belshazzar is attempting to regain control. These are his men who owe their security and prosperity to him. And so he's in control. He's their patron, the one who can enrich them, the one they need to serve. But sadly for him, his experts once again prove useless. Not knowing the true God, for all their learning, they cannot discern his intent. They can't see the meaning in the event. Well, unable to regain control, Belshazzar's terror increases. But then a figure from a bygone era comes to his aid, the queen. As his wife's already at the feast, this is the queen mother who can remember what Belshazzar has chosen to forget. Don't let your thoughts terrify you or your face be pale, she says. No need to panic. We've been here before and I know the man you need. Nebuchadnezzar, your predecessor, the great king, recognised him as chief of the musicians, magicians. For he, Daniel, verse 12, had an extraordinary spirit, knowledge and intelligence and the ability to interpret dreams, explain riddles and solve problems. Therefore, summon Daniel. And you can almost hear us say, why haven't you summoned him yet? He's the man. So Daniel is summoned, brought out of obscurity, recalled to service. But Belshazzar's contempt for the God of the Jews can be heard in his address to one of his people, in his address to Daniel. Are you, Daniel, one of the Judean exiles that my predecessor, the king, brought from Judah? We're back in chapter 1. Daniel's the outsider, the humbled captive, whose God could not protect them. He's a man of uncertain ability. I've heard, oh, if you can. But though Belshazzar's disdainful of Daniel, he offers him reward. You see, Belshazzar still believes he is in control and he has the power, power to enlist to his cause, power to enrich. 
But Daniel's response is blunt. You may keep your gifts and give your rewards to someone else. However, I will read the inscription for the king and make the interpretation known to him. Daniel doesn't want or seek this king's favour or rewards. But like the prophets of Israel, he will speak the word of God to Belshazzar, make known God's will. Daniel the prophet reveals that the living God is not a dumb God. He is the speaking God who expects people to listen to him. Remember, he says to Belshazzar, remember Nebuchadnezzar, your predecessor, the greatest king of Babylon? Well, he was truly great, wasn't he? Because of the greatness God gave him, all peoples, nations and language were terrified and fearful of him. He killed anyone he wanted and kept alive anyone he wanted. He exalted anyone he wanted and humbled anyone he wanted. He is the pinnacle of human power. That greatness, though, remember, came from the Most High. And Nebuchadnezzar was brought to see that. Confess that, remember? Remember how Nebuchadnezzar was brought to confess that, brought to repent of his pride? He was driven away from people. His mind was like an animal's. He lived with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like cattle. His body was drenched with the dew from the sky until he acknowledged that the Most High God is ruler over human kingdoms and sets anyone he wants over them. Remember that? Well, you should remember that because here is the problem. You, his successor, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart even though you knew all this. Instead, you have exalted yourself against the Lord of the heavens. Belshazzar, you knew. You knew Nebuchadnezzar's experience. You knew Nebuchadnezzar's testimony, what God with great patience had brought Nebuchadnezzar to confess that the Most High God's dominion is an everlasting dominion and his kingdom is from generation to generation. Hear that, Belshazzar? He's not just king in Nebuchadnezzar's time. No, he's ruler overall in your time and in every age. Oh, and Belshazzar, you heard from Nebuchadnezzar that all the inhabitants of the earth are counted as nothing and God does what he wants with the army of heaven and the inhabitants of the earth. There is no one who can block his hand or say to him, what have you done? God's in charge of you. He can do with you what he wants. You had heard this truth. You knew it. And you did nothing, Belshazzar. You did not humble yourself to confess the truth of the living God. 2 verse 23. Glorify the God who holds your life breath in his hand and controls the whole course of your life. Instead, you did the opposite. You defied and despised him, treated him as less than your idols. So now the God who has spoken in Nebuchadnezzar's dreams and their interpretation The God who spoke to you, Belshazzar, in Nebuchadnezzar's words has spoken again. He sent the hand and this writing was inscribed. And Daniel proceeds to interpret these three words, three common words for weight, a minor, a shekel and a half. 
He proceeds to interpret these three words on the wall to give God's meaning in this sign, playing on these words. This is the writing that was inscribed, Mene, Mene, Tekel and Parson. This is the interpretation of the message. Mene means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the balance and found deficient. Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Numbered, weighed, divided. Not listening to a word that would have given him mercy. Belshazzar now hears a word that brings judgment. Not humbling himself in life, he will be humbled in death. The living, speaking God expects to be listened to. To be listened to as he speaks through his human messengers. Where the Lord has given his word, he doesn't need to repeat the experience of the one he gave the word to in the lives of others. He doesn't need to repeat Nebuchadnezzar's experiences in Belshazzar's life for Belshazzar to hear the Lord's word. The living, speaking God expects to be listened to as he speaks through his human messengers. And that's true today. It's perilous to know and ignore, to hear and do the very opposite. That is to invite destruction. Our Lord warned of that in the story of the two builders. The foolish builder who lost everything was the person who heard and didn't act on what he has heard. And the gospel reminds us that to hear and believe is life. But to hear and fail to believe, to reject, is to continue under God's wrath. John 3, the one who believes in the Son has eternal life. But the one who rejects the Son will not see life. Instead, the wrath of God remains on him. It is perilous to know God's word and not act. For the God who speaks is the almighty God, the God who can fulfill his word, who keeps his promises and carries out his judgments. Then Belshazzar gave an order and they clothed Daniel in purple, placed a gold chain round his neck, issued a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. You see, unlike the men of Nineveh who heard Jonah say, in 40 days Nineveh will be destroyed and who repented and were spared, Belshazzar does not repent. Bestowing the unwanted reward on Daniel actually shows Belshazzar is determined not to humble himself before the word of God. He's determined that he will be king. He will be in charge to the end. And God's words fulfilled. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Chaldeans, was killed. The judgment spoken was certain, for the living speaking God is the mighty God. Not one word he speaks will fail. The end, he decreed, though, was not just for Belshazzar but for the Babylonian Empire. That end, decreed end, is now fulfilled. Not just the fulfilment here of the word written on the wall. No, these, this is the fulfilment of the words God had spoken through Isaiah and Jeremiah, a word, a judgment on Babylon. And notice this fulfilment comes about not through an act of an individual. It comes about through the movement of nations, the rise and fall of empires. 
The despised God, the God our society excludes, is the living, speaking, almighty God, the eternal king who can humble the proud. We're shown that here and we see it clearly in the gospel, don't we? The Lord Jesus, God with us, was consigned by the powerful and the proud to oblivion, to be shamed, killed, forgotten, written out of history. But in his death and resurrection, the victory of the prouds turned into their defeat. Their wisdom shown to be folly as they crucify the Lord of glory. Their power, the power of death, shown to be nothing compared to God, unable to shackle the life of God, Jesus is exalted as Lord known throughout the world and one day every knee will bow to him. Our God is living, almighty, he speaks and he keeps his word. And as we hear Daniel speak to Belshazzar, it is clear, isn't it? The living God expects us to learn from the word that he gives to others. You knew all this, Daniel said to Belshazzar, and knowing this, He should have acted on it. He didn't have to have Nebuchadnezzar's experience himself to respond to the truth those experiences revealed. We don't have to have the apostles' experience of Jesus to respond to the truth that their experience, that was revealed in their experience. We have their witness, the gospel, the word of truth, and we must act on it or be judged by the Lord Jesus says if anyone who hears my word and doesn't keep them hears my words and doesn't keep them I do not judge him for I did not come to judge the world but to save the world the one who rejects me and doesn't receive my sayings has this as his judge the word I have spoken will judge him on the last day for I have not spoken on my own, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a command to say everything I would said. We have the words Jesus spoke. Whether we've heard it from our parents or reading the Bible or just sitting here, in the words of the apostles, Jesus is speaking to us. We have had this, we have heard this word that will either give us life or judge us. And the response that word calls for is still the same. It's to humble our hearts, our wills before God by repenting and believing the word Jesus speaks. And repenting is something that we actually have to do every day of our Christian lives. It's not just one off, is it? And repenting is saying, I'm not God. I haven't given myself life. My life comes from God. Like every good thing I have, I owe him thanks and praise, trust and obedience. And I am wrong where I'm not glorifying him. And repenting is also saying, I'm not in charge. The Lord, Jesus is. And it's right that he's in charge of every part of my life every day. We have heard the word that will either give us life or judge us on the last day. But unlike Belshazzar, we can still respond. And God calls us to respond. He wants us to respond because 
As Jesus said, he did not come to condemn but to save. His command is eternal life. God expects us to learn from the word he gives us through others. So don't be like Belshazzar, knowing but not acting. Define God, determined to cling. This is Belshazzar. He was determined to cling to what he would most certainly lose, (laughs) keeping on being the ruler at the cost of his life. Don't be like him, determined to cling to that sin that speaks of your independence from God, your capacity, your right to do what you want and not what God wants. Don't cling to that because you will most certainly lose all that is not given to Jesus. Turn to the Lord Jesus and call on him for mercy. Whether you've never done it, do it now. He hears, he acts. If you've done it, but you know that you're living in rebellion, he hears and he will forgive. His word that will judge us is given to give us life. Act now. But we also see in Daniel 5 that there is great comfort in humbling ourselves and believing in trusting the word of the excluded, despised God. See, think of those Israelites who first heard Daniel. They suffered under a succession of rulers and empires, rulers and empires who cared nothing for God. And throughout that time, their God, the Lord of heaven and earth, disregarded and dismissed, seemed absent. But here in Daniel 5, the veil is drawn back and in the prophetic word, they see their God at work in a moment of history. They see the work that he is always doing. Many, numbered, they see history is not ruled by chance. God has ordained times and seasons. He has a plan. Tekel, Wade, He continues to be the just judge of all the earth, always at work in righteousness and justice, and no one, not even emperors, are beyond his justice. Passing, divided, and in all this they see that he is working out his plan to save his people. For this judgment brought Cyrus, emperor of the Medes and Persians, to power, Cyrus declared by God in Isaiah 45 to be the one who would bring his people back from exile. In the prophetic word, they see the world truly, the place of God's saving purpose and plan. The world he's not excluded from, but within which he acts as its sovereign creator and ruler. There is such encouragement, isn't there, in that glimpse of the work of the excluded God. Encouragement to not embrace the collective blindness that wants to pretend God is not here. Encouragement for them and for us. But we actually have more encouragement, don't we? You see, we may not have individual prophetic insight into why this or that happened in the world, why Trump was defeated or Biden came to power, why Xi Jinping is in the ascendant. We don't have prophetic words about that. 
But we have the encouragement of another prophetic word that draws the veil back on God's work in history, on his working out his purpose in the world. It's the book of Revelation. Remember that book that reveals in chapter 5 that the lamb who has been slain, the Lord Jesus, sits on the throne and he is the one who is worthy to open the scrolls to bring to pass God's plan for history. And what do we see as he takes the scroll and opens the seals? What do we see in this unveiling? Well, we see numbered. History unfolds according to the Lord's plan and his timing. It's not chance. It's as he opens the seals as he directs the sounding of the trumpets. Oh, wait. In what unfolds, we see the Lord continuing to enact his just judgments in history, his judgments on idolatry and violence, on greed and sexual immorality. Revelation 9. The rest of the people who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands or stop worshipping demons and idols of gold, silver, bronze, stone and wood which cannot see, hear or walk. And they did not repent of their murders, their sorceries, their sexual immorality or their thefts. What's happening is not arbitrary, but God continuing to enact his just judgment in history weighed. And the inhabitants of heaven, those to whom God's plan is open. See and praise his justice. You are just the Holy One who is and who was because you have passed judgment on these things. Yes, Lord God, the Almighty, true and just are your judgments. Numbered, weighed, and yes, divided. In all these judgments, he is working salvation for his people. He's bringing the time when the Son is revealed in glory and his people His bride rejoice forever in his presence. There is great comfort in knowing the despised God in his prophetic word, in knowing he is the God we can trust in a world that excluded him, in being able for a moment to see reality truly. There's great comfort in knowing that we can trust him to be working out his good, just and saving purposes even when we cannot see them in detail. Our comfort in knowing him as his word reveals him to be the living, speaking, almighty God. And yes, the merciful God who still speaks to us now in the world that excludes him the word that will bring life, the word of his son, Jesus. You and I are sitting here as those who have heard that word. Be encouraged and resolve to live in the light of the reality he reveals in his prophetic word and he's revealed in his son. Resolve to live in the light of reality by trusting Jesus, the exalted son, who rules over all history, trusting him for all we need, trusting him to be the saviour he says he is. Oh, 
Live in the light of reality by obeying Jesus in all he says. And yes, by proclaiming Jesus, speaking the truth of his rule in a world that needs to humble itself to find life, to find life in the one that it seeks to exclude, but who is the living almighty Saviour. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we pray in your mercy that you would shine the light of your word in our hearts so that we would see this world and its history truly. The world in which you rule. The world in which you bring your plan to pass. The world where you enact just judgment. The world that you are bringing to your appointed end, that day when our Lord Jesus is revealed in glory. Help us to see truly and so to live truly, faithful to your Son, our Lord Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.